three, two, one. Welcome back. We're glad to have you. We are on um, part three of a series on Renegades, our new book about breaking rules, finding freedom. It's all about founders and how we can help them get more freedom in the role that they play in the work that they're doing. We have some special guests today. It's a little bit of a different setup. We've got four system and soul coaches on this call. Uh, we have Jonathan King, Bill Green, Benj Miller, and Chris White, the great white. We're here to, I'm going to interview them today and just give them a chance to give you some insight on what does this really look like? What does this, this founder journey look like when uh, in the eyes of a coach, the people that get to see the messy stuff and the amazing stuff that happens throughout this entire experience. So we're going to talk through that today. Hi guys. Thanks for joining us. Hey. Hey. Morning. Thanks, Mackenzie. <laughs> and um, okay, so normally when we have guests on this call, we start with um, something that can't be Googled about you, like an interesting fact. So we're going to go down that road for one second. Um, and I'm going to ask you, in, in light of renegades, what what is the most renegade thing that you've ever done? It could be Googled. It could be part of some court documents. I don't know. <laughs> I'll jump in. The first thing that comes to mind is the first uh, real office I got to build out uh, for my company. It was just kind of a hobby that I like to do. So I decided we were putting a climbing wall uh, in the office and we had giant like 16, 20 foot ceilings. And so we had this elaborate climbing wall, uh, in our, in our office. And then the second iteration of that, actually you'd go up and fall, let go and you fall into a foam pit. Um, and that was maybe the most useless thing I've ever done. I don't, <laughs> maybe the most renegade. That's pretty amazing. I think the, the, I think the earliest renegade move that I made, I was um, 14 going on 15. And I went to the principal of my high school, which was just a regular public high school. And I asked, I, I pitched him on the idea of letting me leave school at noon, go back to my elementary school and be a teacher's aide. Cause I knew that I want, I, I had this feeling deep down inside me, I wanted to be a teacher. And so for my junior and senior year of high school, I got out of school at noon and, and went to my public elementary school <laughs> and shadowed the teachers. And your great sales career was born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty epic. I think being here, Mackenzie, in a lot of ways uh, with you today uh, is the outcome of the most renegade thing I think I've ever done. But it started when I was about halfway through my corporate sales leadership career, and I was driving home from a, a day in the field with one of my sales reps. I think I might've been 43. And I said, I don't know how I could do this until I retire. So what would I do if I was doing what I really loved and never retired? And I said, I want to coach people to find better ways of doing things in their lives. I don't know what that looks like or how I'm going to do it, or if it even exists, but I found it and I'm here. So I, I, I made that commitment to, 
make it to 50. I retired from uh, my corporate career when I turned 50. Uh, it was a little bit after I met Chris and, and Benj, but just the same, I, I found a way to uh, to be in a place where I think I can be a renegade. And it came through the most unusual uh, circumstances, but it was that acceptance that there was something bigger and better for me to do and uh, taking the chance of jumping in. And I'm grateful to be here. That's like the perfect answer to this question. Becoming a system and soul coach is the most. I think it. Yeah, I think just being, being able to make that decision that what you're doing is what you should be doing and going after it and doing what you really love. You know, that's really what it came down to. Yeah, mine, mine's similar to Bill. I was in a, I'd spent uh, many years in Fortune 500 world and was on a leadership team reporting sort of to two different owners, partners in a business that was extremely unhealthy, extremely toxic environment to be in. And I had like Bill wrestled for a couple of years going, I just can't keep doing this anymore. So I decided um, 2017 to launch my consulting practice to really help with that, um, help small businesses with that toxicity that I experienced and how to, how to break free from that and have a healthier and higher performing organization. Well, both of you guys just gave good examples of, I think renegades see what we say in the book, uh, you know, preferred future and like ask for something more of the future. Um, so that's incredible. I, so I want, I want to dive in for our, for our listeners. I want to, you guys have a really unique perspective on this whole renegade thing because you get invited into these spaces with renegade founders and their leadership teams on a regular basis, you know, every week of the year, you're spending time with these teams and you get to kind of see, you get to see all of the dirty laundry or, you know, the, 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 the reasons that businesses struggle to begin with. So can you, can you describe for our listeners who, who may not understand how this works, can you kind of describe for them what it, what it is that you come in and that you see inside of these teams and the, and the reason that that renegade or their team call you to begin with? Oh yeah, I think what I see is, um, and when I get in contact, typically there's a lot of chaos inside of the organization and the team is having a lot of success typically, but it's way harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And that, that often looks like there's so many great um, peer leadership organizations out there EO, YPO, Vistage, there's a, there's a ton of them. And so many leaders are in those groups, but often what happens in those groups is they get access to a bunch of different tools and frameworks and solutions. And so every month or every other month when they go to these meetings, they come back to their organization and they're like, oh, I have this new idea. I have this new great tool. And over years, the accumulation of all of those tools, it just leads to a hodgepodge of different systems and structures. And they all are done with great intention, but they end up creating and adding to the complexity, adding to the chaos that goes on inside the business. And so usually when I start working with, with a client, it's, Hey, we see all of these things we need to do, but we need to put it together in a way that that is makes sense. They work well together. They're integrated and it's something that the team can understand. And it's not, you know, next month we're going to have a new flavor of the month and be doing something different. And so typically what they say is, after we work together for three to six months is we're more connected than we've ever been before. 
we're more aligned as a, as a team than we've ever been before. And we're executing with confidence and, and focusing in ways we've never been able to focus before. And so I think it's taking all of that chaos and complexity that goes on and, and how do we keep doing those good things, but um, get more focused on, on the things that really matter. Yeah, it's interesting, Mackenzie. I, I often think about um, kind of skill set and mindset. And when I engage with a prospect or a client, a lot of times they might have the skills or think they have the skills, but they recognize that maybe the mindset is wrong, either in their own view of the world or their leadership team's view, or maybe even in the organization. And it becomes a matter, the, the way it often gets represented to me is I feel like I know where I want this thing to go, but people just don't get it. They're not following along. They don't understand. And they're, however they define it, there's this gap that exists between what they see and what they feel and want and what everybody else sees and feels and wants. And so being able to close that gap is uh, sort of the pain point that I, I feel like I hear the most. Uh, maybe it's because I'm, I'm listening for it <laughs> uh, because that's what I love to, to do. But uh, there's a, a genuine sort of appreciation for the choice that they have to go from where they are to where they want to be. And, and in the book, you know, we talk a lot about shift and kind of shifting that mindset from where you are to where you need to be and recognizing that you don't necessarily have always the tools, kind of to Jonathan's point or the resources to make that shift by yourself. And so you're looking for someone to help you do it. And uh, it's great when I can feel that growth in the leader to recognize it, to have the self-reflection to say something needs to happen different from what I'm doing, but I need help. And uh, it's great to hear that because you know, you've got a good opportunity right there to serve and uh, make a difference. And you know, that's a, that's a renegade move on the owner's part, right? Sometimes people will confuse um, a renegade with being reckless and that's not always the case. Um, renegades, they, yeah, they push up against the line. They definitely push the envelope, but they, they're also mature enough to know, okay, I've reached this, this ceiling to your point of complexity, chaos. I need to bring someone in. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they know what to do, uh, but they're not sure how to do it, how to get from here to there. Uh, or they need someone to come in and confirm what they're mm-hmm. seeing, seeing, feeling often, you know, where we start with the leadership team on day one, it's not the same team. Uh, you know, when you come back a year later and some of that is the necessary work that has to happen in order to level up the organization, you, you know, we, every organization, when, when they go through a certain stage shift, we tend to promote our technicians to roles of leadership, uh, without, maybe the training or even the, the wiring skill set desire to be a manager, to be a leader uh, of a function of the business. And so sometimes that needs reset and that's hard because some of those people were around in the beginning and, you know, the, mm-hmm. at the core of what we do, we want, we want dignity for everybody. So even that person that we believe the best thing for them is to no longer be in the room. How do we do that with dignity? I think that that's one of the biggest challenges that that I see in the session room. Ben, you hit on something that one of my one of my clients, uh, Jacob Maynard with J2 Construction, um, and we've been working together for about a year, and he's got there's four four guys on the leadership team, and the last time we met, it's the same four guys as when we got started. But he said something that is is I think so um, so wise. He said we're a completely different leadership team than when we first started working together. 
and it's the same four people and it's nine months later. That's and that's, awesome. I think some of the impact that happens when you like to Chris's point, make that renegade move and say, Hey, we need to bring in some help. Yeah. I think, you know, they, I, I, I won't get the saying exactly right, but you know, they talked about how young children seek structure. <laughs> so, so do we adults, especially renegades. Like if we're really honest, like, yeah, we can run hard and fast, but it's amazing what happens when you put a little bit of framework in there right? To give them some structure, some sort of borders or boundaries, but yet it's flexible so they can still run hard, you know, like that renegade. And uh, that's a really good story. That That's uh, that's quite a transformation really in a short amount of time. And I think, it, I think that's, you know, those, maybe they're all four renegades, I don't know, but put them in a framework with a little bit of where you get a little bit, a little bit more discipline and accountability, and all of a sudden they're communicating more effectively. Um, they, they, the left hand knows what the right hand's doing. They're almost ending each other's sentences. That's like nirvana. Maybe they're not there, but they get there, and that's a really cool place. This is so to contrast that a little bit, but uh, one of my more recent clients, I've only been working with them, I think seven months, and so. Uh, I, I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks since I was last with them thinking about what makes them remarkable because nobody's picked up, you know, everybody takes the speed of implementation at their own pace, at the, at their capacity, at their desire, their willingness to change all of these things. And these guys were just on it, like absolutely every single thing. And, and I, mm. I've condensed it into three things that I think, uh, contributes to their success. One is it's a fairly small team. It's only four people. So much like you just said, Jonathan, in your example, it's not a huge room, huge room, bigger, the ship, harder it is to turn. The second thing is, uh, the relationships that they have with each other. You can tell that they care about each other, love each other, knew each other before they started working together, like length of deep relationship. And then the third thing is, as you go around and, and ask each one of them about their past, they were all athletes at some point at a pretty high level. Mm -hmm. And so athletes mm -hmm. are used to being coached. So when you come in and you say, all right, we need to do this, this, and this, they're like, you know, step on the throttle, let's go. Um, so that's, they've been a really, really refreshing team to work with. And I think those three attributes are things, you know, if you're listening, thinking about your own team, is it too big? Do you have depth of relationship and do you have some athletes in there? I had a conversation with a client. Uh, the operator and the visionary are military uh, veterans. And much like the athletes, I think when you talk about structure and kind of respect for uh, order and, and process and systems, you know, much like the athlete in your example, Benj, I think those who have an appreciation or experience in the military understand the value of of this work and aligning with it, but still want to function as renegades within that structure and do the things that, that empower them. So um, recognizing that uh, the need for structure and kind of following the, the process, trusting it in a way that uh, certain uh, folks can is a, is a good observation. Yeah. It sounds like there's people who are predisposed to teamwork in, in some way, or, or they've learned it over time. Um, can thrive in this kind of structure from the get-go. I'm curious to, to kind of take us to the next question I have. Um, what happened, you know, when, when you encounter teams or a renegade uh, who 
isn't predisposed to those things or is not expecting, you know, some of the the challenge that comes in the conversations that are needed, that they need to have. Um, when you, so it sounds like more often than not, when you're working with a founder and their team, they are problem aware, like they know they've got some, they've got some issues. They want to, they really want to improve the system and the structure and have a healthy team. What, where do they, where do you start to lose them? Like, where is there a, a, um, there, where's their pushback or where do you see them kind of like pumping the brakes or getting nervous about this process? And, and why do you think that is? Mackenzie, that's such a great question. And again, the, the client I spoke about a moment ago is going through that exact issue. And what I've seen is when they realize that they have to challenge each other and accept that that's not questioning uh, one another or doubting one another, but having the safety and the trust in the system in each other, in the process, to challenge. I think Jonathan spoke about it earlier, respectfully, but also to challenge with the intent of getting through that messy middle and understanding the other side is where the good is. And uh, we're, we're, I've found my clients and their teams kind of get stuck at times. It's like, is it okay for me to do this? And without that order, without that um, sim simplification, that clarity and control that we talk about, uh, it, it would be understandable for them to want to kind of recoil and hold back out of deference for one another. But when you are in a position of a renegade, you're by very, your very definition, we want to realize that it's a choice. It's a decision to step into the discomfort and to make a change and challenge one another, realizing that in doing so is the only way you're going to grow. So I think that's that point where you see teams challenging one another, you know, you've made a breakthrough. Well, yeah, and that speaks to Benj's point about the deeper relationship, right? Because if you've got a newer or a younger team um, or a team in transition where they don't have that level or depth of trust, you know, that takes time. Um, and, and as coaches, you know, it's part of our responsibility um, to push them, right? Uh, that's what a great coach does. Um, you know, it's having those difficult conversations. It's not easy for anybody. Our human nature is to pull back from it. But knowing that the magic is on the other side, um, you know, you have to you have to be there to facilitate and really get them right up against it. And, and then it's a decision point. Um, right. We're not trying to break anyone. You know, I have a lot of clients in the DOD space and I've, I've seen executives, you know, with combat experience get triggered uh, accidentally. Uh, you never know what can happen, but but it is, you know, the coach's responsibility if you're if you're observing the behavior uh, to, to call it out and, and then encourage them to take that next step. That question hit me a little bit differently, and I thought about it um, almost in terms of before I start working with a client, the big hurdle that I think a lot of a lot of owners struggle with is the time commitment, right? So like, hey, we're in the business. Me and my team are in the business day to day. We're running it. There's no way we can take a day out. Um, every quarter and certainly as we're getting going and we got to commit two or three days in a pretty short time frame to step away from the business. And, and one of the things that, that, that I like to talk about to help them get over the hurdle is right now you're an owner operator 
we're going to help you move from owner operator to owner. And that's a place where they find freedom is when they can get out of the day to day and, and, but they've got to, they've got to take time to, um, they've got to make time to create time. And that to me is the biggest hurdle that a lot of, a lot of, um, teams I'm working with struggle with. You know, that's a renegade move too, right? When you let go, because when you're the owner operator, you wearing all the hats and you got your hands everywhere. And um, that that's not an easy decision. We've all seen it, right? And that right. that uh, um, that that I see that too as the next another renegade move that the owner goes through as in their journey, right, of, of scaling their business. Chris, yeah. can you say more about that around? You know, going from wearing all the hats to not wearing all the hats. Like, why is that so hard? Well, you know, I've, I've helped several clients through this. One that comes to mind is a, a father son, and um, the the dad talked all the time about getting out, but never really, you know, took action. And uh, and it's because it was his baby. Um, they moved down to Florida. He started with nothing, and um, he was he was at a point in his career. His son was ready, had been groomed. And uh, it really, you know, they, they sought out um, uh, some outside help um, to, to do some, uh, I'll call, uh, therapy sessions outside of the session room with me. Um, but they really put in the effort because it, the, the son was ready and he wanted to take over. He was in his mid-40s and it was time. Uh, and, and so we had to put a plan together. Um, to help the dad who really was the founder renegade, um, to help him see um, where the company needed him next. And, and you know, he had uh, depth of knowledge and we needed to do a knowledge transfer. Once, once he got his head around it, he was able to look down on his business in sort of a new light, like really proud um, he, he was in his mid seventies. He knew his, uh, his renegade moves were behind him. Um, and this was his, I guess, last renegade move is to fully let go and go through that transition. And that took five years to do that. Um, we, you know, we went at their pace and I think the way they handled it was just beautiful. Um, everyone felt respected. Everyone felt heard. Um, I'm not going to say there weren't bumps along the road, um, but it's when you're when it's your baby and you've had it for 40 years and you've nurtured it from nothing to something, um, you know there is a there is a uh, a lot of emotions that the renegade founder goes through, and one of them is that that feeling of not being needed anymore, and and so. The leadership team of this particular client really helped the founder to understand that we need you as a mentor now. We see you as the professor and uh, we want you to come out to the warehouse and do like a little workshop for us. And that kind of, uh, it gave him a new purpose. Um, uh, he got down to one day a week and uh, it was just, a, it was a beautiful thing to see and go through. Um, and I'm sure you guys have some similar experiences with that. 
your the story that that you told and you know Mackenzie's question like the biggest shift of letting go letting other people take the reins is to me um, one is trust and so a lot of the work we do with clients is about helping that renegade founder um, trust his team so that they know when they step away when they let go of the reins that the things that they want to happen are still happening and then the other part of what you described for me is that it's an identity crisis that occurs right so so much of their identity over over you know in some instances decades are tied up in that yeah that is their baby and it's all they've it's all they know right And, and their entire their entire world is connected and tied to that identity as being the founder of ABC company. And, mm-hmm. and when they have to transition away from that, it's a, it is a role that there are a lot of emotions and things tied to that. You've got to, you've got to navigate. They become yeah, addicted absolutely. to being needed mm-hmm. in a certain way. Well, so there's a, yeah. there's an identity component. Um, and that's work that you guys help a lot of these founders work through as Chris described five years of working through that. Um, over that over that time, there's also, and we talk about this in the book. There's there's shifts in the business. There's mindset shifts and there's practical shifts that can be made in the business and with the team that really help put that trust at the foundation and build just systems that make sense in the business. So, um, in, in the book, I'll just give a quick overview, and then I'd love for you guys to talk more about what this looks like. Like, how does how does this work? Where do you see it working well? Like what, what does this look like for your clients? Um, so this, we, we talk about six shifts. The first is a design shift. Second is a cadence shift. And that's all about pace, pacing the business score. Are we measuring the right things? Do people know when they're winning destination? Do people actually know why we're going, where we're going, where we're actually going to is that clear? Um, defining an ethos, the identity of the business, and then, um, shifting how we think about leadership and, and helping develop people in the business. So those are the shifts that we discuss and we, we cover both the challenge that the founder has to overcome and the practical solutions of what it looks like to get to the other side. How do you guys see this um, playing out? What are the hardest shifts? What are the most profound transformations you've seen? The floor is open. The idea of being inwardly sound and others focused, I know, which we've included as kind of part of our ethos um, from Tim Spiker and his work, that shift from what you do as a leader and as a leadership team and who you are, I think is a part that has been really profound as I've worked with my clients, because giving yourself the grace as a leader to not know always what the answer is or what the right thing to do is, but starting by looking at the mirror and asking yourself, how are you showing up? Because if you're going to get your people aligned with your vision, however you define it, um, and you don't know who you are, how do they know who you are? So I found that as I've worked with my clients through, I think I'm at eight or nine system and soul clients um, from other uh, engagements I've had with them, that's been one of the biggest uh, aha moments for me is having them understand who they are as a leader so that what they do matters and, and I love the nod to Tim Spiker's work in our model and in the book Renegades, because I think that's the secret sauce to kind of combining system and soul is recognizing that what you do is important, but who you are matters uh, if you want it to get it done, to get it done right. 
Yeah, I think some of the um, I love that reference to to um, Tim Spiker's work. I think another another thing that I see in a tool that we've integrated into a lot of the work that we do is um, the concept of the empowerment dynamic, the power of TED. And what I see with leadership teams as we start working together typically is that they live in the drama triangle and they are especially adept at playing the role of rescuer. So they need uh, their teams to need them. And so they can run around with a big fire hose, putting out all the fires that sometimes they create intentionally so that they can come save the day. So they're both uh, an arsonist and a firefighter. And, um, <laughs> and so helping them see that and, and move, the shift is moving towards uh, an empowerment dynamic where they move away from being a rescuer and they become a coach for their team. So as we're coaching them and we're going through that, they learn how to coach their teams. And that's a, that massive shift um, for most leadership teams that I see occur over, over time together. Mm. You know, one of the, one of the early shifts um, that I see and I'm always surprised by it is when we build the org chart. And we actually, you know, go through and, and, you know, we use a tool called commander's intent to, to write the, the mission, right. Of that function. And then we have KPIs and some roles and responsibilities. But when you pull all of those together, um, and, and, you know, it's not just about the hierarchical structure, right. It's going deeper into the function and getting more clarity. And it's always interesting to me because. You know, they all come in with their hats that they wear and these sort of, um, you know, preconceived ideas, some of them fair. But then when we get into it, we start hammering it out. It's always fun to watch like, oh, wait a minute. It's actually this. And it's that little tiny moment of breakthrough. But then they all at the end of the day seem to have this uh, newfound clarity um, and they they it's like all of a sudden they roll into their next weekly sync with, with that clarity and they have better conversations. I totally agree with that. That's always the, the difference between the clarity people think they have before that conversation starts and after is they're like, Oh, I understand why we needed to yeah. go through that. So that that's great. The first thing that came to my mind when you asked the question, Mackenzie, what was maybe not the most impactful stuff, but the quickest impact maybe the easiest to make a, a difference and that's creating the cadence in your organization. Like what are the rhythms that we have that will produce not only the culture, but also the results that we want to have. So how, how are we going to have a cadence to our weekly meetings? How are we going to have a cadence to how we do our coaching with our, the, the people that work for us directly? Uh, all of those things, if we kind of think about, uh, putting putting them on the calendar at the beginning of the year to make sure those are priority so often uh they everybody has a little bit of guilt because they know they should be doing those things uh know they should be doing them well investing in them but they're always the last thing because we're fighting fires you know it, it's interesting too because we we talk about system and soul and i had someone explain it to me the other day from their perspective a client said you know, there's the skill set and you get that from any kind of system or tools or framework, but it's a mindset and you have to start with the mindset first. This is what they shared with me. And I think that whether the leader recognizes that like overtly or not, it's getting 
the mindset right so that there's this vacuum created that allows all of the tools and systems that might increase clarity and control uh, into their world so that they have this, well, it's so cliche, but the growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I'm the boss. This is where we've always done it. And now it's like, hey, what got us here won't get us there. So making the choice to say, what else could I be doing uh, better, differently, or more than what I am? And more importantly, how can I begin to help others see the vision the way I do so that uh, I can enjoy watching you act like an owner instead of having to do everything myself? So it is very much a mindset shift. And I think when we talk about system and soul, it isn't just culture and people. It is about a mindset of growth and um, recognizing that we're all people and that if we're going to execute on any kind of system, we all got to care about it. Well, thank you guys so much for, man, what a great conversation. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm going to put the LinkedIn uh, connection information in our show notes so you guys can get connected with Jonathan, Bill, Chris, or Benj, if you aren't already. Um, and hey, get Renegades, get the book. It's on Amazon, get it now. And uh, thank you guys, have a great week. We'll see you next time.